Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show in its 21st year on Voice America. And this program is really about helping people turn their obstacles into opportunities and their challenges into solutions and help them make their dreams come true as well. Today, I have on a very, very interesting guest. My guest is Dr. Lauren Olson, MD, who is the award-winning author of Finally Out, Letting Go of Living Straight. He's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He's a physician for over 50 years and he served as a flight surgeon in the U.S. Navy and continues to practice psychiatry. And he's a well-regarded essayist and popular speaker on mental health and LGBTQ issues. And he's been interviewed nationally, regionally, and on multiple um, multiple public publications. And today, one of the things I really wanted to focus on is with all of the unrest in the world, you know, how uh, Dr. Olson can help us put some of this in perspective. Welcome, Lauren. Welcome, Dr. Olson. Good morning, Patricia. I'm very happy to be here with you again. Thank, thank you. Yeah, um, you know, I was, I was reading your book and I was reading the back cover and I was thinking, you talk about things like, um, infidelity and suicide and forgiveness and hypocrisy and we are going through so much right now with the and I know this is the show is evergreen people may listen to this two years down the road however you know we're dealing with a lot of school shootings we have right now the war in Ukraine of course we have COVID that keeps changing so it's this continual uncertainty and fear that people are having and I just you know from all years years of experience you know, just giving us a little perspective. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for the parents of these children or the children in school who've witnessed this, but just um, kind of general, what would you say about everything that's happening right now? Well, I, th- I think we're under an enormous amount of stress, Patricia. Uh, you know, uh, first the COVID thing, uh, where uh, we all felt uh, isolated and alone and and uh, feeling like we were not being able to connect with the people we loved. And that was a, a big enough stress. But then with all these shootings that are going on now, um, I think the thing that has changed about that is at, at one time we were able to think, well, that all happened somewhere else, but now mm-hmm. it's in uh, schools and churches and it's uh, in uh, uh, Walmarts and it's, it's the places that we go every day. And mm-hmm. so uh, we're no longer feeling safe anywhere we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, I mean, is there an answer or, I mean, I don't even know if there's an answer. <laughs> well, it's a difficult uh, subject because, I mean, there are people who uh, really are strongly in favor of um, uh, freedom to have any kind of uh, weapon you want. And then there are those of us uh, who really feel like there need to be some controls. And I think mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're right now we don't have the leadership uh, that we need to be able to deal with this problem uh, mm-hmm. and get some of the guns off the street because it, that has worked in other places. It's not like uh, it's an experiment to, uh, to take some of these uh, high-power uh, weapons off the street. Um, but uh, uh, we lack the, the uh, will, I think, politically uh, to make the choice. Mm. And beside all of that, which is tough, you know, what do you say to the parents of the children and the children who witnessed these things? Because, you know, well, let, let, me, let me just say something here too, Lauren. You know, whether you're straight, you're gay, whatever you are, we're people. So it doesn't matter what your gender is and what your sex is and what your race is when these things happen. Not at all. I mean, I think uh, uh, it's impossible to know what to say uh, to the parents who, uh, because uh, losing a child uh, from any cause is probably the most painful uh, mm. thing that any parent can go through. Uh, it's it's a very difficult thing, and often um, marriages end because of the problems that couples have in dealing with the grief of lo- losing a child. Mm. So to have lost a child in any circumstances is tremendously difficult, but to have lost it in the sense 
senseless uh, ways when, uh, in fact, uh, in Texas, the bodies were not even be able to be shown in an open casket uh, or mm. identified mm. Uh, by people because of the the uh, traumatic injuries that the children experienced. So mm. it's impossible, I think, uh, to uh, say anything that's really comforting except that uh, uh, we feel that pain with them. And uh, uh, but uh, it's they're gonna. There's no easy way to recover from anything that's uh, that traumatic. Mm, yeah, and and there's just so much out there. And I, I want to move to the other to the other subject here, and that's the whole, the the subject of being gay in our world today, which has really opened up in many ways. I mean, now we just don't have, you know. Gay and straight. There are different genders, right? There's, there's different. We have gay marriage. I mean, and and you've been through this. You went through this when it wasn't accepted the way it is now. So I'd, I'd love to get your comments on this, particularly for parents raising children or, or people who are getting married, of you know, of another gender. Well, it, it's very much uh, uh, more common than it was when I came out. I mean, all of us now know people who have come out as gay. I was uh, first uh, growing up and in the 50s, and, and through my entire time in medical school and residency, I didn't know anyone who was openly gay. So that's changed significantly. And uh, as a society in general, it's easier to come out now, but it's very much a regional issue, depending mm. on the culture of the region. You know, uh, uh, and I, I worry some now because they're taking uh, uh, um, schools and telling them that they can't talk about subjects where uh, about uh, being gay or homosexuality or gender or any of those issues. Uh, and for many uh, children, that was a safe place. Home was not a safe place to talk about it mm. for many of them mm. and now uh, parents can uh, I mean and parents can sue teachers uh, who bring the subject up uh, and uh, most of these kids really want to talk to some I think you know 45 percent of LGBT youth have uh, attempted suicide 80 uh, percent really? of those kids want to have some counseling uh, but in mm -hmm. many cases there's not uh, uh, access to that uh, counseling available to them and so I think as these restrictions come into place about what can be done, uh, we're going to see more and more uh, suicides. There's definite evidence that where uh, uh, the society is open and supportive that the suicide rates are cut in half. Uh, and we're going against that, in, uh, particularly in some regions of the country. Mm. Do you think part of the problem is that we're suppressing the topic, that if we could discuss it more openly, it would make a difference? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, uh, and of course, that's what I do is I, I really feel that all of us who are uh, gay need to be able to talk about it because we can quote the numbers as I just did, and uh, we can quote uh, Bible verses and, and other kinds of uh, scientific literature. We can quote all that stuff, and uh, people don't listen to it or don't hear it or they reinterpret it in their own way. But when I say to uh, someone, when you say that about me, this is how it affects me. That's what mm -hmm. changes people's minds. Stories change mm -hmm. minds. Stat uh, statistics and facts don't. Mm. And the other thing I think, and I think this is a harder question, is family members, right, despite by their love of their family, will sometimes betray and hurt their loved ones. And how how do you deal with those hurts and, and forgive loved ones? That's a hard one. I'm sure you deal with that in your practice a lot. Yes, yes. I think, you know, the issue for, uh, you know, around coming out is that for those of us who have gone through that process of coming out, we've been thinking about it for a long time. But when we finally say those words to someone, uh, I have something to tell you, I think I'm gay, uh, they're just beginning the process. So there's this dyssynchrony in terms of uh, people's dealing with it. Uh, they're just beginning to have their world turned upside down, uh, while those of us who come out have been dealing with it for a long time. 
time. So there's that disconnect. And a lot of times it really takes some time before the family can begin to integrate that. But the secrets are what uh, keeps us isolated. If if you're Mm. living some life that you feel you're ashamed of, you're not going to talk to anybody about that. And the more you don't talk about it, uh, the bigger the issue becomes for you. And that's when people begin to think about suicide as the only possible solution. Yeah, very tough. And I read your grandfather committed suicide when you were six, and his actions were shrouded in secrecy and silence. So how do we break through that surrounding the death of a loved one by suicide? And that's getting, as you said, more prevalent today. Yes, I think... um... Uh, yeah, I, I uh, saw a patient this week who had a semicolon tattooed on his uh, wrist, and I hadn't seen that before, and I wasn't aware of it, but he uh, had uh, attempted suicide, and he said that uh, the semicolon that he had tattooed was to tell people that uh, he didn't end his life with a period, uh, as a, a writer does with a sentence, but he uh, the semicolon was an indication that he had more to say, more to write in his uh, mm. story. And I think, you know, for my mother, it was impossible to talk about because she had discovered his body and it just simply was too traumatic for her to talk about. Mm. So I kind of let her off the hook, but my whole family didn't talk about it. Uh, And uh, even though I was six when we were living with him and this happened, I didn't learn about it until I was in medical school. I was probably 22 or 23 when I first learned about it, uh, even though we were there. Uh, And, uh, you know, our family has a history of depressive disorders and not talking about suicide in our family uh, puts other people at risk because if we know that we have this um, uh, problem in our family, hopefully those people uh, who feel um, depressed can have some intervention made sooner than my grandfather was Mm -hmm. able to. Do you think, Lauren, that might have been one of the motivators for you to go to medical school and study psychiatry? Uh, yes, I, I do, Patricia. You know, uh, I resisted the call for a long time, and I do. I do think psychiatry is kind of a calling. Uh, at the time, I don't think I put it all into place in that way. Uh, my mother didn't want me to be a psychiatrist. She uh, even asked me if I was going to stop being a doctor when I was a psychiatrist. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, but that was just her level of understanding what psychiatry is. But I think those of us who are called to psychiatry. Uh, know what that pain feels like that our patients see. And this is an invisible Mm. pain. People can't see it or touch it or anything Mm. else. But uh, people who are effective in mental health work, I think, can empathize with that pain and know that uh, that pain is just the worst possible pain. And we feel motivated to want to try and help them with that pain. And that's what calls us into the profession. That's why at um, 79 years old, I'm still practicing because I I know the need is there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you can feel it. And not only when you talked about your grandfather committing suicide, but then your father passed away as a result of a tragic accident. So you've seen a lot of this in your immediate family. Yes, yes. And, and, um, and then my brother also became a quadriplegic in a car mm. accident. My mother mm. had to deal with all of that, and I, I don't know where she found the strength to do it. I, I think, you know, she was sort of my inspiration to uh, feel that, you know, we can't let these tragedies uh, destroy our lives. We have to find a way to, to go on. For her, it was music. She was an organist and, and a communist, and, and uh, when she was feeling uh, that, that deep emotional uh, discomfort, she would turn to playing the piano and or going to the church and playing the organ and uh, some time to just uh, uh, spend some uh, time focusing on what was going on in her life at that moment, you know, uh, and uh, that, but I think we all need to have something like that mm-hmm. that we can go to when we're feeling this kind of pain. Mm. You know, my question here is, Let's say, and I'm sure you have, you've dealt with, let's say, the same patient for several years. I'm just giving an example here of many patients you've seen, and you're still working with them, but you don't see that much progress, you know, and things don't change that much, but you're still working with them. Is that hard for you as a psychiatrist, as a practitioner to, you know, to keep on with the same person, but it's, you're seeing very little movement? What do you think about that? 
um, it was hard uh, initially, and in, when I was in my training, uh, you know, you want to be the the doctor who can deliver the magic bullet that's going to somehow change right. people's lives. But uh, uh, you know, I know that a lot of times uh, it takes a long time for people to develop that kind of trust where they can really begin to reveal some of their secrets. And you know, I. I will tell my patients, you know, my life is going to go on whether or not you deal with this, you know, yourself. I, I, it, I can't, and I can't take all that home and, and worry about whether or not they're going to, to make the progress that I think they, they can make. But a lot of that uh, that goes on, I mean, for one thing, I'll tell you one incident, uh, which is, uh, I think, fairly remarkable. I'd seen a woman for uh, about 25 years treating her for major depression and a lot of other um, family issues uh, early on. And and then uh, during the end of that, I was seeing her just every uh, three months or so. And uh, uh, after I wrote my book and I, I, she had read it and she uh, questioned me, why did I write something that revealed so much about myself? Um, and then in our last session, when I closed my office, she came in and uh uh, she uh, had her hand on the doorknob and she says to me, after 25 years, I've always thought I was a lesbian. And she had never revealed uh, that to me in all those years that we had worked together. And it was because of the hearing my story in the book where she thought I told that she was able to share that with me. But we never had a chance to follow up with that. Uh, but it was only after that length of time uh, that she felt safe enough to reveal that to me. So I think what you're saying is that hopefully in your book, you are encouraging people to come out with their stories, right? <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know, it's, uh, the current book, No More Neckties, is uh, written in an essay format, and the hope is that people will read the essay, and they w may not relate to the story that I tell, other than they may connect to it in some emotional way. And and uh, hopefully, uh, my, my motivation for doing it was to give people hope that uh, they can get through their hard stuff in their life, mm -hmm. just as uh, I've been able to uh, get through yeah. the hard stuff in my life. You know, I want to go back to suicide for a minute, Lauren, because I do a lot uh -huh. of corporate corporate webinars on mental health and uh -huh. suicide. And we talk about this a lot and we talk about how do you know? And many times you don't know. Um, what would you say to friends, parents, loved ones if they're concerned? I mean, is there any way we can really know? Are there those little hidden clues or is it just watching for change in behavior? What would you say about that? Well, one thing that people are afraid to to ask, uh, they're afraid uh, to bring up and and ask a person if they're thinking about suicide. Uh, people are right. afraid that somehow if they say that to someone, it will trigger the idea to them, uh, and that, like they hadn't thought about it before. But many people who are severely depressed uh, see that suicide is a logical choice for them. I mean, it, we know, you know, when we're thinking clearly that it's not a logical logical choice. But for a depressed person, it often seems like a logical choice. Um, so I think one thing is uh, to um, be comfortable asking someone if they're having thoughts about it uh, and uh, to be very direct. And it's not going to be harmful to, to them uh, to hear that. And uh, they may not respond truthfully. Uh, they may not want to say that they are. Um, but opening up that conversation is mm. quite appropriate uh, at any time. You know, a softer way to approach that is to just say, you, you know, you don't seem like yourself. What's going on? You know, can we mm. talk about it? I, and uh, let them know that you're uh, open to hearing what their story is mm. and not shutting it off. You know, so often the response is, oh, uh, snap out of it or get better or right. uh, uh, you're overreacting. Right. Uh, but they don't feel like they are, you know. They don't feel like they're overreacting at all. Right. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, if they could snap out of it, they certainly would. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and, uh, the the and the worst is, thing that, go ahead, the, the worst thing that can happen is they'll get mad at you. And I think we can live with yeah. that. Yeah, and anger is a healthier emotion in some ways than than being depressed. When you know a person who is uh, anger at least has some energy to begin to deal with it. Uh, but anger is not necessarily destructive, and many times it can be helpful in uh, moving the conversation further along. 
Mm. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk also about body image issues in our next segment. Men, women, men, kids. You know, we have body images of of ourselves that are sometimes, um, you know, not realistic or we're looking at what the culture says. So we'll talk about that with Dr. Olson after the break. We'll also talk about stereotypes of aging and ageism. And so that's what we're going to talk about next. And also, you know, really, how how do we deal with people who have different values, different beliefs, different gender, different race? I mean, how are we going to come together? And how does Dr. Olson, after 50 years in practice, you know, work with his patients to help them? All right, you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. My guest is Dr. Lauren A. Olson. His book is No More Neckties. It's a memoir of essays. And he wrote a memoir called Finally Out. But many of him had questions about his personal story because his essays were very raw and brave. And so what he does in No More Neckties is offer authenticity and intimacy and candor. And so he is a board-certified psychiatrist, Dr. Lauren A. Olson, who came out at the age of 40. He's a father and grandfather, and he's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. And he presented findings for his research on mature gay men at the World Congress of Psychiatry in Prague. In Prague. All right. Thank you so much, and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint, dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Well, hello, everyone, and we are back. And my guest is Dr. Lauren A. Olson, MD, board-certified psychiatrist, and he's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. His brand-new book is No More Neckties, a memoir in essays. Okay. And readers were drawn to his book, Finally Out, another memoir, but also had questions for him about his personal story. And so he's a gifted storyteller, and he really shares his story to help his listeners. Excuse me. Dr. Olson came out at the age of 40 
and he's presented findings from his research on mature gay men at the World Congress of Psychiatry in Prague. All right. Welcome back, Lauren. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Let's talk about body image issues for men, for women, for children, feeling fat, men having boobs, um, you know, our whole culture with cosmetics. A lot of people today have tattoos. A lot of people are having cosmetic surgery. Uh, a lot of people want to be skinny. A lot of people have implants in other places beside their breasts. I mean, there's there's a lot here. And I'd kind of like you to go underneath that where, where, where we are today. Well, uh, you know, I personally grew up with man boobs. And in my case, uh, it was a matter of feeling like they were on my chest was evidence that I wasn't the man I wanted to be. And so I really hated it for a long time and uh, eventually was able to uh, have some discretionary income and have a a breast reduction, and it did help. But, you know, I'm a a big man, and I've uh, had trouble coming to peace with that. Uh, And, um, you know, the, the... there's a $50 billion industry in, in cosmetics and $20 billion mm. in cosmetic surgery. And mm. all of these things are held out as a promise that we're going to be made into the body beautiful. But what they end up doing is causing us to feel a sense of shame about our body. Um, and uh, uh, they they reinforce the idea that we're not good enough the way we are. Uh, and uh, so we buy more and more of their products, which is exactly what their marketing is designed to do. Um, but uh, I, um, I've never talked to anybody who really feels comfortable with every part of their body. You know, we, we mm. all focus on the part uh, that we uh, would want to change first. And we see some people who really get addicted to plastic surgery and have repeated procedures. And there is a, a, um, a disorder called body dysmorphic disorder, which is an exaggeration of that where someone really misperceives the way that they uh, come across. But I think, uh, except that you know, we can't, our genetics are genetic determined as uh, what it is. Uh, that we look like. Uh, and, uh, um, we're, hearing, um, we're hearing a little bit of a static, so I don't know. Oh, if I'm sorry. Mic. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and I Better. think you know we need to uh, try and um, uh, begin to learn to accept that not everybody has to fit into this stereotypic. Uh, stereotypical ideal for men that you know is a v-shaped body with muscle definition and low body fat that's sort of the image that we have of what an ideal man should look like and similar for women it, you know it's it's a very thin low body fat uh, physically fit body uh, but some of us are just not constructed to do that no matter how hard we work uh, to attain that so uh, you know our weight uh, uh, needs to be based on what's healthy for us and we need to focus on our health rather than our attractiveness because, you know, uh, feeling attractive and being complimented by other people on our appearance isn't really what makes us feel good about ourselves. You know, self-esteem doesn't come, uh, self-esteem does not come by approval from other people. It comes from approval of yourself as you are. Uh, And so I think it means uh, accepting ourselves uh, as we are and knowing that it's good enough. And uh, I I came to peace with my body uh, when uh, I found that uh, there are people like men who are bigger men and uh, uh, they found me attractive. And and it was like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't need to be attractive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's very individual. What is your feeling about other things with the body, whether it's tattoos or, you know, other enhancements? You think that's a personal choice, right, based? What, what would you, what's your feeling about all of that as well? Do you put that in the same kind of category or is that different? Are you there? I think, Lauren, I'm having trouble hearing you. Are you there? Uh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Because I couldn't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. uh, um, uh, uh, We're connected now. Okay. Okay. So did you hear my question? Yeah. We were asking about tattoos. And I think, you know, it's become 
um, so commonplace for everybody to have a tattoo. When I was uh, in the Navy uh, many, many years ago, kind of a mark of masculinity to have a, a tattoo about uh, military service. And, and uh, oftentimes people got them when they got drunk and went out into town. Uh, and uh, when I was in medical school, they told us that uh, if people had tattoos, we should uh, uh, do a check for syphilis because they were considered to be associated with people who led a, um, um, a sort of a uh, salacious life. Um, but, uh, that's all changed now. And, um, um, there are, uh, some tattoos that I think are really quite beautiful. They, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that people have spent a lot of money with and had a good artist do their work. Uh, but there are a lot of people who have just sort of random pictures of, um, of dead children and their pets on their body and they're sort of just splashed on. And, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine how they feel that that enhances their appearance. But maybe it's not about their appearance. Maybe it's just sort of a memorial to um, uh, mm-hmm. times of people in their lives. Um, but it, it, it's yeah. become kind of a competition, too, where people... Yeah, I, uh, go ahead. yeah I, I hear what you're saying. By the way, you're still echoing, so I don't know. Um, you come back and forth in an echo, so I'm not sure uh-huh. what that is. Um, but I, I, can, I think what I hear you're saying, what, what I'd like to um, make a synopsis here, and that is that it's really very individual. For some people, all of this is about beauty. For some people, it's about self-esteem. For other people, as you said, it's about a memorial. And that, and that it sounds to me like we need to un- try to understand that from where the other person's coming from rather than the judgment. Is that, absolutely, is that... I think. Uh, absolutely, I think that we need to understand that uh, uh, we don't need to um, uh, accept what their motivations are. If, if they feel good about it uh, and they're comfortable with the way that uh, it looks, then who are we to judge whether or not it's right or wrong mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. them? Uh, uh, that's for sure. All right. I want to move on to another topic that I think is is really important, and that's aging, stereotypes about aging. You know, old people must reject the idea that all stereotypes apply to us. 70 isn't the new 50, it's the new 70. And successful aging, you know, includes reasonably good health, some financial security, and a sense of meaning. It doesn't mean we're forgetful. You know, there's also so much wisdom there. There's a reservoir of wisdom. So uh, let's talk about that. I mean, a lot of people who grow old as we grow older find it difficult to accept those physical challenges and sometimes sexual limitations that come with age. So talk about aging gracefully because that's another sort of stigma that we've also been dealt with that we don't see as much in other countries, correct? I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I think, um, you know, we, we prize uh, youth in this uh, uh, culture that we live in, but I think what we need to realize that uh, uh, when we get older, we have opportunities we never had before. You know, when, when you get to be about 50, your career has kind of reached a, a peak, and at that point, uh, the uh, tyranny of ambition uh, can let go of you, and you can begin to focus on other things that begin to have more meaning in your life. And I went through sort of a difficult time when I was about 60, and I I realized that um, um, I'm losing you again, Lauren. Yeah, I'm losing you again. Yeah. Are you hearing me now? Yes, I am. I don't know what's going on. Um. Okay, go ahead. You can keep. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, but at some point in our lives, each of us, I think, comes to a point where we realize there are more days behind us than there are ahead of us. And that can be a, a good thing in the sense that we reevaluate our values and we begin to uh, check things off of our uh, to-do list without ever having done them. And uh, we begin to focus on the people uh, that are really meaningful to us. And uh, uh, the title of the book, No More Neckties, came from that uh, kind of uh, discovery for myself. When my mother died, I went through a process. I said I was not going to go to the cocktail parties to network with people that I knew I 
I wasn't going to like. I was going to boring lecture again, uh, and I was not going to wear neckties. And the whole thing, I was. Yeah, Stat- static, static again, Lauren. It's really, it's tough. So, um, I, it, it I'm goes sorry, in, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, go uh, ahead. It's okay now, but uh, it, it, it does give a lot of static, uh, like an echo. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh, the idea was that you know, we need to throw off the expectations that we have and lead the life that we were meant to live. And the older we get, the easier that is. And, but the secret, I think, to aging is to find something that's meaningful. That's why it's work. I've always found my work Right. All right. We're going to go to break because it's very hard to hear you and we're going to try to fix this issue. But what you, I think you just said is trying to find something meaningful in your life. And that really makes a big difference as we get older and to look forward. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. My guest is Dr. Lauren A. Olson. His book is No More Neckties. He is a board certified psychiatrist and a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. And you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. And we will be right back. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hi, everyone, and we are back. My guest is Dr. Lauren A. Olson. He is a a psychiatrist, board-certified psychiatrist, uh, who came out at the age of 40. He's a father and grandfather. He's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He presents his findings from his research on mature gay men at the World Congress of Psychiatry in Prague, and he also speaks about all types of subjects in terms of whether it's racism or it's um, equality or it's diversity. And we and, and today, in the rest of this interview, we're going to talk about infidelity and shame and forgiveness and aging and really look at the gamut of issues that people are facing today. Welcome back, Dr. Olson. Thank you. Okay, Thank good, you. good. Okay, great. I'm glad we can, we're hearing you well. So um, uh, just briefly... This whole idea about sexuality as we age, um, what do you say about that? Well, one of the things I think that um, um, most men, and, and I work more 
don't mean to uh, ignore women's issues, but I think women need to speak to their own issues more than I do. But, um, for most men, they really don't understand sexuality very well. Uh, they uh, learn uh, from what is seen in the in locker rooms, and it's, you know, all of that is a really distorted picture of what sexuality is. And there are some natural progressions of change. Mm. Okay, uh, really, I'm really having trouble hearing you. So uh, it's really coming across as an echo. Um, maybe you can just move into another space for a minute, because what you're saying is so important, and I really want to be able to hear it. Um, so go ahead. I'm sorry. It's uh, what I was saying. Um, most men don't really understand their sexuality very well, and in particular, they don't understand that there are some natural changes that occur over uh, uh, our lifetimes. Uh, our sex drive diminishes. Our uh, ability to obtain erections uh, predictably diminishes. Uh, our ejaculations diminish. Uh, but if we understand that there is a natural progression of these things, we can maintain an active and satisfying sex life well in the late life. If we uh, understand that uh, once you may struggle with an erection, it doesn't mean that your sex life is over. A lot of men get anxiety when they first begin to struggle. They feel like um, they're losing it as a man. And then that uh, anxiety, uh, that worry begins to really complicate uh, the situation. And a lot of the problems with erectile dysfunction are uh, more psychological than physical. Mm -hmm. You were married to a woman for many years, and you had two daughters before coming out as a gay man in midlife. You now have a great relationship with your ex-wife, your kids, and your husband of many years. How were you able to form this very modern family? Well, it didn't come quickly or easily. Uh, I would have to say that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, for the first uh, three or four years, we struggled. Uh, my ex-wife and I struggled with the issues that uh, all divorcing couples struggle with uh, about the uh, issues related to children, about the finances. Uh, they were no different because I was gay than they were if I had been straight and we had been mm -hmm. divorced. Uh, but at, uh, when my first daughter got married, uh, we decided that we were going to set aside those issues uh, and make it a good day for our daughter. Uh, and when we came together, we found out that we still liked each other's family. We still liked each other in some ways. Uh, we realized we couldn't live the life that we have both uh, thought we would. Um, but we were able to get beyond that. And so from that moment on, uh, we set aside all those issues that were problematic for us and um, began to uh, find forgiveness for each other for the times that we'd hurt each other. Uh, and uh, then uh, from there on, it was uh, easier. And uh, she has accepted my husband. He uh, and she cooked together for family dinners uh, together. Uh, you know, in many ways, it's uh, the best possible outcome for a very difficult mm. circumstance. But you have to find forgiveness. Uh, yes. uh, that's where it all, uh, I think, uh, comes together. Do you think that forgiveness extends in infidelity because that occurs in many relationships? Oh, absolutely. It does. You know, it, you know, we, we hear all the time, uh, she has something, a character flaw that's uh, unforgivable. Um, but you know, there's so many ways uh, to cheat now. We can cheat by uh, what we do on the internet. We can cheat by uh, telephone conversations. We can cheat in multiple different ways. But the issue is uh, that um, uh, it often is uh, not related to uh, someone's. Uh, 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 you know, all relationships go through hard times, and it's during those times when we're going through hard times when we're more, more vulnerable to seeking out love and comfort from another person. Uh, and uh, so I think uh, we're all humans. We're all sexual beings. And uh, life is dynamic. And uh, I think accepting that we're all vulnerable to that is much better than uh, saying, well, uh, I mean, it's yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. So try, trying to work it through, if you can. Is what I'm yes, doing. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. If you can. You know, okay. um, we do hurt each other. All right. All right. Let's talk about um, stereotypes and misconceptions that continue to affect the LGBTQ community, in particularly in conservative states. And where, you know, where do you see that moving and how can we look at, at hope here? Well, um, again, I think it goes back to the issue of um, people telling our stories, but uh, the, the stereotypes uh, always apply to some. You know, they're, they're always true for some people. But if you watch the evening news about, you know, we're in Pride Month now, uh, in Speedos blowing bubbles on a float or dykes on bikes or uh, uh, some outrageous drag queens. And that's what the public image will uh, that's presented of what it means to be gay. Two mm. fat old men who play dominoes on the evening. So it, it, it's really the same thing that you're talking about in all stereotypes. It's not just in yeah, this. So it's, in, it's in any stereotype, whether it's aging, again, whether it's color, whether it's race, whether it's gender. That's right. It's, it's the same, very yeah. similar. Yeah, what it, it's based on what's called the law of small numbers, uh, a, a characteristic which is uh, recognized in one group of people is elevated to master status as if everybody in that category had that characteristic, mm. and it applies right. to all stereotypes, yeah, right. all stereotypes. Yeah, so a lot of this, what you're saying, what I'm hearing is it's our thinking, and it's whether or not we are willing to change our thinking. That's a big part of this. What do you think? It's a very, yeah, it's a very big part of it, you know, that, and, you know, uh, uh, politically, uh, uh, when I uh, uh, am confronted by people who aren't willing to um, change their thinking, I can't deal with those people. I need to walk away. I want to yeah. talk with people who are open to hearing what I have to say, and, yeah. and I want to be open to what they're uh, saying. Right. Uh, so those are the people that we can work with, but there are when with the extremes of their political views uh, and cultural views, uh, there, there's no reason to argue with them. Uh, um, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think before, right, again, it's difficult to hear you, but we're working through it. Um, let's talk yeah. about, I think before we close, let's talk about a very important topic, which is the power of self-acceptance. And I think that's the crux of all this, is working on parts of themselves that they don't like. And so please, please speak to this. Well, I think uh, self-acceptance means uh, uh, there are two two things to do. One is to have a realistic idea of who it is you want to be, not who you, we've been told you should be, but who you really want to be, to have a realistic per, uh, perception of that. And the other side of it is to be a realistic judge of who you are and not beat up on yourself. And the closer you can bring that ideal to who you see yourself are, the higher your self-esteem is. And when I'm working with people, I, I uh, say, you know, what, what, let's try and figure out uh, that idea. What is it, the kind of person that you really want to be? And then the other side of it is to, to stop beating up on yourself uh, for the things that you perceive as failure and be more realistic in your self-assessment. And those two things um, are the things that really help a person to improve the way they feel about themselves. Mm. You know, memoirs, which you've written two now or more, are a reflection about looking back, but they can also be catalysts for you moving forward in life. What do you think you learned as a result of writing this book as well as your other memoirs? Well, I... Um, uh... I think the issue uh, was uh, one of finding hope uh, in uh, our lives that when that we go through hard times, uh, all of us go through hard times, uh, Patricia, in our relationships, in our lives, and, uh, and careers. Uh, but uh, we need to find a way to get through those hard times and move to a different place. And you know, when I'm working with somebody who's really depressed and they're expressing a sense of hope. 
hopelessness. I'd say borrow some of my hope until you find it, you know, for yourself. Mm. And then when you down the road, you pass it on to somebody else and and pay it forward. But it, uh, really, uh, what we have to have is a sense of hope that as bad as we feel right now, it's not going to last forever. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, share with us before we close today, maybe an inspirational story of someone you worked with for a long time or a short time and some big changes that you saw and why you think you saw them. Well, uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, working with a, a man who was um, uh, a Catholic monk uh, but had had sexual uh, 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 orientation issues for a long period of time. He, before he became a monk, he'd been married to his wife, and she died. Uh, then he went into the monastery again. He'd been there prior to his marriage, uh, and uh, we talked for a long time uh, about how to deal with it. And uh, he ended up um, uh, leaving the monastery and uh, been, uh, um, married to the love of his life. And I just had dinner with him the other night, and um, they're uh, both so uh, incredibly happy happy now, uh, but life was made out for him, and it wasn't working at all, and now he's living the life he chooses to live, and uh, uh, is a very happy man. And there's a lot of hope from what I'm seeing. How can people find your books, Lauren? local bookstores, uh, uh, the online re- retailers, and if they uh, can't find it, my uh, website is nomorenecticesbook.com and all the links to, to the places you can buy it are there. Okay. And I'd really, love to hear really from readers. Wonderful. Um, any closing thoughts for us? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, uh, 79 and this is the best time of my life. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're saying is it's not about age, right? No, no. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the happiest people are past 50 years old. You know, it, it takes a long time sometimes to get past uh, uh, trying to uh, live the life that's what works or being caught up in uh, trying to achieve at the highest level. And finally, uh, when we get to 50, there can be a sense of peace about it. Uh, and I, I think we shouldn't fear aging. Uh, uh, it can be a wonderful time of our lives. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Dr. Lauren Olson. No More Neckties, a memoir of essays. Dr. Lauren Olson is a board-certified psychiatrist, and he he is also a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Thanks for touching some tough subjects, but also doing it with hope. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Patricia. Yeah. All right. Stay on the line for a minute. That wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Um, To find me, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources on Facebook. If you'd like to be on my newsletter list so you can see all the great guests I have on each week, write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. And if you'd like to do your own podcast, I help people put podcasts together since I've interviewed about 5,000 people in four decades. And so I love helping people get their positive message out as well as doing this through this program. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.